Thank you for taking some time out of your schedule to listen to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week, we're going to talk to Zach Iverson, and Zach might not necessarily be a household name, but he is a cameraman for Outdoor Bound TV, and we're going to kind of go through like you know the scheduling and the grind and everything that way, and that's kind of our episode tonight. We're not necessarily going to give you information on, I would say, how to catch more muskies, so to speak, but we're just going to have a more of a outdoor related conversation. Does that sound about right, Brad? Yeah, I would agree with that, Jeff. I mean, you know, it, it's not going to be an in-depth uh, learning thing per se, but at the same time, you're going to learn something about what it takes to be in this, in the industry. I mean, whether it be musky fishing or outdoors in general and kind of a different perspective to what that all entails. Right. And if you're into self-filming, you'll pick up a few things here and there. It's not like, that's not certainly what the episode's about necessarily, but it will, uh, it'll give you an idea on a a couple things. And like you said, it'll talk about, I guess, part of the struggles, part of the reality that goes into the outdoor, you know, industry, I guess I would say. I guess it's not just completely 100% musky related. Although Zach is a very avid musky angler and he's definitely caught quite a few fish and you know, Brad and I have spent a little time in the boat with him, so we know him, you know, personally, and it's it, it should just be a, more of a fun conversation. We'll get back to some hard-hitting, musky stuff here coming up, I'm sure. And speaking coming up, we have uh, we got episode number 100 coming up here pretty quick, Brad. I know uh, it's banging on the door at the end of the month. It's February, and uh, it's it's coming up. So before the end of February, episode 100 is going to come out. So we got to come up with something cool for that too, Brad. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've got a couple things up our sleeve, Jeff, and I, I think uh, the public's going to really like it. Our listeners should be happy. So I'm looking forward to the recording some of that and uh should be interesting. Absolutely. Well, before we BS a little bit more on this intro, we should probably talk a little bit about a couple companies to pay the bills, right? Our sponsors or lack of sponsors. <laughs> yeah, our sponsor list is pretty short. I think uh, you pretty much present yourself and uh, I'm trying to present ourselves. So you know, it's kind of weird that way, but yeah, I can make a couple of different announcements. Um, some of you out there that, that listen, probably seen, we put a trailer out here, what, I guess probably a week ago when this thing airs. So about a week ago, I put out a trailer and it's called the Muskie Mayhem Pro Staff Profiles. And there will be five episodes this, this first year. Hopefully you guys will enjoy it. It'll be available out on YouTube. If you haven't seen the trailer and you kind of want to get a better idea, you can take a look at either my Instagram page, which is uh, Musky Mayhem Guide Service. That's my Instagram. Otherwise, uh, I believe Carrie's got it. Well, we have it up on YouTube already. And I believe Musky Mayhem Tackle has it on both Facebook as well as their Instagram page. So, Check it out. See what you guys think. Um, basically, it's profiling a bunch of our pro staffers, five of them. Should be kind of fun. I'm excited to see what the public thinks of this. Yeah, I've seen a bunch of the footage. It should be pretty cool little deal. I know that if you're, let's say if you're, fran- you're fans of Musky Town from uh, Bad Fish Outdoor from way back in the day, many musky anglers might not even recognize it. You had to watch it on a DVD, you know, one of those things you had to put in the machine and actually like load it and stuff like that. I think that's kind of it's kind of the style you modeled it after a little bit, isn't it, Brad? Similar? 
You know, I, I've always, what I was really shooting for, Jeff, was something different. You know, there's so many different things out there on YouTube right now. Not that any of it's bad, but I always try to set myself a little bit of a part, and uh, I wanted something unique. And I kind of wanted to give back to, well, not kind of, I wanted to give back to our staffers, you know. They do a lot for us, and I think it's important that uh, that we share some of that realm and that their world. So that's what we kind of did. So, yeah, it's very similar to that in some senses. Actually, I was on that video that you're talking about. Man, I don't even know how many years ago that was a thing. You know, it's been a while. Oh, yeah. but It's, uh, it's been... I don't, I don't know. I'm just guessing it's probably been 12, 15 years, maybe. It's probably more leaning towards the 15 year mark. I would guess. I mean, it's hard to believe, but yeah, it, it's a cool concept. Uh, there's a lot of interview. There's a lot of interaction with the pro staffers and, um, and along with that, of course, fish catching action. So that's the cool part too. Absolutely. That will be released on February 8th, the very first one. And I believe what our kind of tentative plan is, is that uh, they're on from that point on. Every two weeks we're going to release. It might be weekly. I'm not sure yet, but I'll keep you guys posted. Well, I don't have any cool announcements like that. If you want to check out everything about me and my company, it's TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. And we're a retailer in the muskie world who carries a tons of products and we, we keep adding more and more hopefully there's more stuff showing up i know suic is supposed to get restocked along with some new colors in that company so that's one of them we just put some smitty wizards online so we keep doing everything we can to build the biggest lineup of musky tackle that we can so we can keep you geared up for the 2021 musky season Unlike Brad, I have done no video editing. I have a lot of it around. I talk about this every single week, and I promise you, I don't have the February 8th deadline like Brad does, because I know Brad's been spending night after night after night editing, because he'll literally be sending me text messages, and he'll say, hey, uh, check out this little clip I just edited, and I'll be like, Brad, go to bed. It's 2 in the morning. And so um, I don't have any deadlines yet, but it's coming. It is coming soon. We are finally starting to catch up a little bit on the product end of it. So depending on what shows up this week, I mean, if it's tons of stuff, that'll throw me behind again. But I'm working through it, Brad. We're going to get some video out here sooner than later, but this podcast always comes first. Yeah, I'll tell you, you've given the podcast way more love than your video, that's for sure. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, it takes time, Jeff. And, and editing video, I mean, I'm no expert by any means. Um, I enjoy doing it because I like seeing how the story kind of comes together, but it can be a challenging deal. That's for sure. Yeah. you were right though. I've definitely giving podcasting. That's been like my push. And speaking of podcasting, I'll plug my solo project one more time. I did it last week. If you haven't checked it out yet, check out team Rhino outdoors, musky fishing podcast. We talked to one manufacturer about one specific bait every single episode and episodes typically come out on Monday. So when you hear this episode or when you hear this episode of Backlash podcast, I think in like 5 days on that following Monday, I should have an episode with another manufacturer and talk about a bait. Unfortunately right now, I have no idea who that's going to be. I actually talked to my wife and I said, "Holy cow, we have a ton of podcasting to do and recording to do because I kind of tease like Brad and I don't have an idea what we're going to do for the 100th episode, but we definitely have an idea what we're going to do for the 100th episode. And I think it's going to be kind of cool, huh, Brad? 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, Jeff. I think uh, we've kind of touched on it briefly with a couple of the other podcasts, but uh, it should be uh, something that's, uh, it, it should be pretty interesting, put it that way. I don't know how to how to express it without giving it all away, Jeff. Yeah, we'll wait. You know, we'll, you'll, you'll see it. It should hope it, it should be something, I guess, that's never been done on a podcast, a musky podcast before. Let's, we could say that, right, Brad? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we kind of touched on it a little bit, I guess, um, here a month ago or whatever, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely different. And I think, uh, I think our listeners are going to appreciate it. Well, I certainly hope they do because I can only imagine how much work this is going to be for me to put this episode out. Uh, you're going to have some time involved. You're going to be investing a ton of time, but uh, I get to do the fun part. Jeff kind of gets to do the editing, and <laughs> I, I, I'll just thank you for doing it, Jeff. I mean, I know how much time and effort it takes. So I hope it's going to be worth it. I hope everybody likes the episode. You know, we we wanted to plan something big for episode 100. I know in you know. I've listened to other podcasts, not necessarily musky podcasts, and they hit a milestone and they're like, hey, we want to do something cool. And then they never end up doing anything cool. So, um, and like I said, I'm not talking musky related. I'm just talking, I listen to a handful of podcasts because I'm, I'm, I'm an electrician and I got, I don't work with anybody. I work by myself. I got nothing else to do. I listen to podcasts all the time. So with that being said, we, that, that's coming. It'll be, I think it's the February 24th episode. That's number 100. So, Brad, I guess unless you have something else to bring to this episode, we could go ahead and get Zach on the phone and see what he's got to say. Yeah, I think uh, that sounds like a good plan, Jeff. I pretty much, uh, I think we hit everything up, and let's get him on the horn. All right, our guest on this podcast tonight is Zach Iverson. And Zach is a cameraman for Outdoor Bound TV. And the reason we had Zach on is because we're just kind of looking to go down that, uh, we're just just a little different. We talked to guides, we talked to manufacturers and we're kind of going down a whole different path. This was sort of Brad's brainchild to talk to him about sort of like what goes on behind the camera through the lens of a cameraman. So Zach, thanks for coming out. We really appreciate you uh, taking some time out of your schedule tonight. How you doing? Yeah, no problem. I'm glad to be on. It's good to talk to you guys. I haven't seen you guys in a while. Catching up a little bit too. Well, I think the last time I saw you was, oh, probably 2019. Hanging Probably out at Brad's. Yep, hanging out at Brad's party barge, doing a little bit of trolling, and then yep. I, I think since then you were gone out of out of country for a while, right? Yep, I was actually I left for New Zealand that winter to go film some fly fishing for a few months. Yeah, and then you were I mean, when you left New Zealand, did you kind of have to bail out quickly because it was right at the start of that COVID deal? I think you were probably supposed to be there maybe a little longer or not. Yep, we were uh, we were originally going to stay about half a year, and it got cut to I think it was three and a half or four months. Uh, the government kind of gave us an email saying that if you're planning on them bailing you out, it's not free. It's actually a lot more expensive. So we decided we better book a ticket back and get back just to be safe. Obviously, it was a good call because who knows how that would yeah, play out. Yeah, they shut down the borders, so I we might still have been stuck there. I don't know. <laughs> yep. So Zach, first time on the podcast, typically we get guys that are going, uh, talking about their background a little bit. Why don't you talk a little bit about your musky fishing background and then why don't you talk about how you got your gig with Outdoor Bound TV? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, started out fishing young on uh, small rivers for muskies, which I think is a way a lot of people got into it. Uh, actually kind of was targeting bass more 
when I was probably around 12 years old and caught my first muskie. And I was like, wow, this is a heck of a lot more fun. And I got bit by the bug then. And then fished throughout the rest of high school and college. And kind of uh, when I did this New Zealand trip, I really, I'm, I'm pretty big into love fly fishing too. Went there and filmed on the side just for outdoor bound. And uh, when I got back, Obviously, the world was kind of upside down and got offered a job to continue filming for Outdoor Bound TV. So I've taken it up, and since then, it's kind of been a, a roller coaster from there. The fly fishing definitely is a strong passion for you, and I know it isn't just uh, the trout side of it. It's also in the musky world, right? Yeah, that, yeah, for sure. I've kind of just in the last few years gotten more serious about the musky side of it, um, but I think... Trout being a predator fish, I've I've actually learned a lot about muskies from trout as well, uh, especially fishing streams that have a little bit of current. Uh, you throw in a streamer, and I mean, you can kind of, it's nice with trout because you get more repetitions per se, where with a muskie, you might only get obviously one or two chances a day to really test your skills and figure out if you're going to screw up or if you're going to do it right. Where with trout, I mean, you kind of, you figure out if they're behind the, a break in the current and you got a streamer in front of their face coming cross current they'll usually like that a lot more which you start to find out in rivers with muskies that's usually the ticket too and uh you know stripping it upstream i think it's just something in them that they can tell that it's not natural to see a fish trying to escape from them upstream which i've found fishing muskies on rivers too very rarely will i get a strike if i'm reeling upstream it's usually cross stream or slightly down and I think that's just a natural presentation for them. Otherwise, it kind of trips something off in them. And uh, that's actually one thing next year, too, that I want to start trying is bringing the fly rod along with more on lakes as well and kind of using that as a throwback bait where there's a lot of guys in Lake of the Woods, maybe they'll be throwing a bucktail and they'll have a follow and they'll grab a suet as a throwback bait. Well, I just think that a fly, from what I've seen, you know, I've had guys in front of the boat that'll be throwing conventional pound in a spot and then a fly comes through and that fish has seen the conventional lure four or five times already and that fly it's just something different the movement the skirt kicking i don't know what it is but it seems like sometimes that triggers them compared to other baits are you using any uh conventional equipment with some of these flies as well i have a few times i've thrown a a castable fly, but for the most part, I like, if I'm throwing a fly, I usually like using the fly rod. Yeah, I just see, you know, just what you were just talking about, you know, as a throwback bait, I think yeah. uh, it, it could be really interesting. And I think that, you know, as time goes on, I just, I can naturally see some things changing in the fly world just so that people of conventional gear could actually throw a fly as well. That's why I'm asking. Yep. Yep, I'm, and then, you know, it's starting to pop up more and more, and uh, I'm very intrigued by them. They have a lot of suspending streamer-type fly patterns that you can cast with a regular rod, which I think is pretty cool, and I agree. I think you're going to start seeing it a little bit more. So, Zach, we kind of shifted gears right into the fishing side and your experience, but uh, why don't we uh, tell the listeners a little bit more about Outdoor Bound and how they can actually view that and kind of maybe see some of the work that you're doing. Yeah, for sure. So 
Outdoor Bound TV right now is uh, it can it's reaching 14 million households. It's on ABC in the Midwest on Sunday mornings. Um, it also plays on some Saturdays, but it depends on which which area you're in. It'll play at different times. But um, and then um, in Canada, it plays it plays on Wild TV, and we're going to be going on our 19th season here next spring. And then they also we started putting them on YouTube as well, so you can watch older episodes anytime you want. Now, it, for the listeners that are out there, maybe in different areas, where can they find that information? I'm I'm assuming there's a website that would tell them in their specific areas. Yeah, when- yep, you can just Google Outdoor Bound TV, and the the website will pop up. Otherwise, we've got a Facebook page as well, and uh, an Instagram account that that'll list all the times and the the episodes that are coming up and it's not just fishing it's uh it's a lot of hunting too it's it's about 50 fish 50 50 between fishing and hunting yeah i think i mean that really goes to say with the name you know outdoor bound it's uh it's uh not just fishing and honestly you have been kind of tackling a bunch of different adventures why don't you go ahead and talk about some of what you've done over the past year yeah so I uh, started out the year in New Zealand, like we were talking about, and uh, filming some fly fishing, which that episode will be in March. And then from there, I got back, and we did a lot of a lot of walleye stuff, a um, little bit of bass stuff, and then I ended up in the Rocky Mountains filming a, a ram hunt that we ended up getting caught in a blizzard. And then we came back from there and um, did a few whitetail hunts, and uh, now we're kind of on to the ice fishing segment. We're actually, next month though, we're going to the Florida Keys and we're going to do a, a tuna segment. And then the end of the month, we're taking dog sleds into the uh, boundary waters and we're going to do another ice fishing segment. I think the interesting part to this whole thing, Zach, ultimately is that, you know, you're on the road typically <laughs> pretty much every week, I believe. And I know that, you know, you guys do 52 episodes, correct? Yep. So, well, sorry, not 52, but it does play all year round. Okay. Um, during the off season, it'll be reruns. Okay. Makes sense. So tell us about your typical day. I mean, think about every, there's a ton of people out there that want to be in this industry, whether it be hunting or fishing. And obviously we're a fishing podcast and directed towards muskies, but you know, there's a lot of avenues that you can go after if you're interested in being in the outdoor industry. And so I just want to kind of pick your brain on what your day looks like. I mean, you got a little grab bag, go bag, if you will, and you're on the road. Yeah. So uh, usually I'll have about four grab bags and six different camera cases that are with us at all times. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of, I guess it'd be similar to, to guide hours where you're up before before everybody else, you're up before the clients per se. So whoever we're filming that day, I got to be up before them, whether they're tying their boots on in the morning or whatever, I've got to be set up for that. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people probably don't, don't realize that when they do watch whatever fishing show or hunting show, whether it be on YouTube or TV is like all those sunrise and shots, you know, the guy was up probably an hour before that, getting everything ready and setting up for that shot. And that's something that I, I guess, didn't fully 
you know, appreciate before I got into this either is there's a lot of unseen hours behind the TV shows and YouTube programs that a lot of us outdoorsmen do like to watch. So if there's specifics to recommendations on exactly how somebody would film their, their normal fishing day, what would you throw at them, Zach? You know, when it comes to self-filming, if that's kind of the avenue you're going down, it's, you can really do a lot with that now. I mean, you can set up as many cameras as you want on looping and just self-film yourself. Um, when it comes to other B-roll shots, you know, you probably would need a cameraman, but I think the, the looping feature for filming yourself was, was just a game changer because you can film all day without really having to, to fuss with much besides the setup it might take you a while to get everything all set up and external battery packs on each camera. But once you're rolling, you're pretty well set. So when you're heading out on a shoot, do you have like a, a list of shots that you know you need to get? Like, how do you know you make sure you get everything? I know that's one thing I struggle with a little bit when I'm out there doing myself filming YouTube stuff is, is sometimes I'm not super organized with that. And I, and I miss things. Do you, I mean, is there certain stuff that you go check mark this, everything down the list that, you know, on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, it started out that way. And now as I've progressed, I'm kind of I'm more comfortable with it. I kind of know what we need or what we want. And we'll shoot a lot of, you know, I think one thing that makes a difference is you, you shoot your shot and then afterwards you shoot the detail of the shot. So whether it be, you know, a guy casting and then your next shot might be tight in on his hands, on his tranks or geese or whatever he's got reeling in that or casting it again. Or if it's of the fish, maybe the next shot will be a nice swooping close-up detail of the fish. And I think anytime you can complement one shot with another shot, it just gives it a much more cinematic feel versus just your standard 2D-looking shot of just one angle on the subject. And like kind of getting into that too, like how much footage do you think you suppose you shoot hour wise to get a half an hour program? I mean, it, I'm assuming yeah. it's way more. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's funny. Um, I, our shows are a half hour and I bet men, I mean, sometimes you can crush them out. If the, if the fish are really cooperating, you can crush out the A roll of just the catches pretty fast, but to get all the B roll and all the other shots that go into it, I'd say it's probably like eight hours sometimes of footage for uh, for a half hour show, and and we do our show is a lot of destination stuff where we'll we'll kind of detail the town or the state or the country that we're in and give give shots of that that as well, which puts us on the road quite a bit. I mean, we're usually on the road 260 days a year if the border was open, and uh, I'm currently pretty much homeless right now it's kind of funny when people ask where i live i'm just like oh wherever there's a couch or a bed if you've got one i'll, I'll stay there until we're on to our next gig where are you residing right now yesterday i was in southwest wisconsin today i'm in green bay and tomorrow i'll be in northern wisconsin and then the following week we're going to minnesota <laughs> so I'm just kind of bouncing around wherever I can, whenever we're off, wherever I can find a spot because where I'm at. Sure. Do you have a significant other that's going around here with you or not? Um, so, yeah, I have a girlfriend who, she actually went with me to New Zealand and she fly fished with me during that whole trip. She uh, does a little bit of filming with me, but she's working in Green Bay, which is 
where I'm at right now for the next next day. All right. I mean, I I thought that you did, but I wasn't sure, you know, how yep. I mean, if that stayed together or not. Because I mean, yep. it's it's a difficult thing to have a long distance relationship, especially if you're gone 250 days out of the year. Yeah, and we just got a puppy, so now we got joint custody of a puppy. So <laughs> it's been fun, but it's it's definitely a little more challenging being being gone so much. So then on the other side, you said a lot of your stuff is destination type stuff. Are you, you know, you spending a bunch of time hanging out in tents or like, how do you guys go about this? Or do you have like some pretty nice accommodations Are you up in five-star um, hotels? Like what kind of behind the scenes is there there for you? Yeah, a little bit of both. Like it can swing pretty drastically. When we did that ram hunt in the Rockies, we, uh, we slept in a tent for a week and actually the day that we shot the ram, we, uh, it was 90 degrees coming in five days prior. And the day that we shot the Ram, the temps dropped to five degrees and there was a blizzard that brought 14 inches of snow. And we were sleeping in teepees at the time. And we packed in the lightest teepee we could. Didn't bring a tarp for the bottom layer because the forecast when we went in didn't show any snow at all. So for that one, we ended up, we couldn't even sleep in the teepees because we had uh, 50 mile per hour winds that were knocking down trees all around us and landing by the teepee that we had in the trees but then so that's one extreme and then on the other end some of the lodges will kind of team up and it's a win-win for both sides they'll put us in one of their nicer lodges and in exchange that lodge will will be on the episodes and we'll present that it sounds you know the funny part is is you're painting that picture it's uh <laughs> it's always a challenge when you're doing this type of work that's kind of what I was looking for in this episode too, you know, just people think they see all the glorious side on, uh, on the front side of that camera. But a lot of times on the backside, it's not really a lot of glory, is it? No, it's, uh, there's a lot of ups and downs. I mean, it's definitely, it's fun, it's fun doing it, but at times it's, it's grueling. I mean, a lot of the days are 14 hour, 15 hour, 16 hour days quite often. And, uh, we we did an episode this this last summer on uh, on Lake Michigan. We were uh, trolling for salmon, and they'd asked me if I got seasick. And I was, I've been out on boats quite often in some pretty bad conditions, and I've never been seasick. But this was also my first time filming from up on the boom through a one by one inch screen. Is what I had to look through all day, and the conditions weren't that bad. But just looking through that little peephole. After about three hours, I started turning blue, and uh, then I started yakking in the bottom of the of the ship because I I'd never done camera work like that before on a lake, a big lake. Which it's just funny you don't think of all the little things behind the the scenes sometimes. No, I, I would imagine that's definitely not something that makes the final cut. No, no, maybe the blooper reel. Well, it's I mean it's interesting because you you get to live all out all these adventures. Is this something that, you know, like for a normal person, is this something you call a career or is this kind of like a stepping stone to something bigger for you? Do you think, you know, I think it's, it can be a career, but also realistically maybe a stepping stone to working multiple different angles. Lately, I've been doing a few gigs too, for John and Ashley Holgren who do, who post after Brad as well. And they do, uh, We've been doing some ice fishing stuff, and we did a few months. We did some stuff for the trigger, actually. Uh, some of the promo videos on that, which 
was just stupid. I was mind blown by the fact that we were fishing on a lake in northern Minnesota, and we'd have bucktails, topwaters, glides, you name it, thrown in the front of the boat. And John would be with the trigger in the back of the boat, never took it off. Or excuse me, Ashley would be with the trigger, and those fish would see the smorgasbord of baits come through, and ninety percent of the fish we caught were on that trigger. So I don't know how your how your sales have been this winter, Brad, without shows, but that bait is definitely something else. Well, I appreciate that, Zach. I mean, it, it's been solid, and you guys did great with some of that footage. I uh, I just actually got a little bit of that footage to uh, build an ad, and I just used some of it uh, two days ago. So oh, nice. we'll be showing that here shortly. But yeah, it's awesome. Sales have been solid. I appreciate everything that you did with that. So it's cool yeah, that you get to work with those guys. You know, they're, they're yeah. working on some stuff and definitely want to grow in that whole avenue as well. Yep, yep. And there is a lot of fun working with them and a lot of fun working with that trigger. So then on the freelance side of things, let's kind of go that way a little bit. Do you have your own, I mean, are you using your own equipment or are you able to use the same stuff that you're using to shoot the show? Because I'd imagine the producers of the show or whatever, they're the ones that supply you with the equipment or is that something that you had to buy? Right. Yep. So that equipment will stay with the show and then I'll use my own on the side. It's been nice too with that because we have our set trailers and truck that we take with that are kind of custom fitted to carry a lot of the equipment we use for the show too. So in that aspect, cause the, the biggest pain in the butt, I guess with all this is usually charging everything and knowing where everything is. So that aspect's nice. We can kind of plug and go with most of our trailers that we take with. And uh, one, <laughs> the biggest thing that's a pain in the butt is the cold. Cause I'm sure both of you guys know from filming, it's just batteries in the cold do not go hand in hand. Yeah, it's especially true. I have also noticed it with lately the the temperatures have gotten a lot cooler around here. Even just like my work tools are having a harder time because nowadays I don't yeah. use you know on the electrical side of things I don't use corded tools hardly ever anymore. It's like if I got to break sure. a cord out, it's winter time and I need it for a heater and that's about it. They don't like the cold weather. I can imagine your cameras don't like it either. I know when nope. I filmed a little ice segment earlier this season. And same kind of deal, and especially if you had your battery packs laying on the floor, they, they just chewed through the batteries with that cold weather. And so yep. I'd imagine yep. that's a major challenge. Yep. I usually, uh, I'll have hand warmer, hand warmers in pretty much all my pockets with batteries for the different cameras we're using that day to try to salvage some of the battery life. Even, even if it's not all that cold, it seems like batteries just drain that and the wind. Wind can be a bit of a challenge for us, too, because our audio has to be uh, pretty crisp because a lot of our, our show won't have batteries. It's a lot more informational, and it won't uh, just have music playing over it a lot of times. So our, our audio has to be crisp, so we'll, we'll mic up a lot and use wireless mics. But, I mean, you get a wind over 15 miles per hour, and it can, it can make it quite the headache for the day. I think audio is always the biggest struggle. I know for years I've struggled with audio and trying yep. to find the best alternative method there. It's always a challenge. And I don't know, you guys, uh, your budget's probably a little bigger than mine, but <laughs> it, it still, it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I've been yeah. on a lot of different film shoots and 
it's amazing what you end up having to do to try to make sure your audio is good. Yep. And we, we've had days where, or weeks where, you know, a lot of the segments we'll try to shoot in two days if we can, but some of them like the hunt sometimes take weeks. Kurt Walbeck's the host of the show and he does a lot of hunts in Africa and New Zealand and they'll, they'll plan for two weeks just to film one episode. But uh, we've had wind where the wind for three days straight was too much to film. So we're just stuck whether you're at a hotel or we're camping or wherever we're at. We just got to wait the window, which, you know, it's another thing you just, you don't think of when you watch a show that something like that can be such a big factor. Hands down. That's very true. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's amazing. Brad, you got that same option when you're doing YouTube stuff, don't you? You just wait, hang out and <laughs> wait three days for the wind to go away. <laughs> you know, the funny, the funny part for us is that, you know, I have guide trips that I'm working around and I set aside two or three days to do a film deal. And guess what? It, it is what it is when you have those days. So you hope for the right. best, prepare for the worst, and it gets to be challenging sometimes. That's for sure. For sure. Yep. yep. Whatever it is, it is. Here's the days. Yep. I got to go. I know how that goes, Brad. We do the same thing. I mean, usually about this time of year, sports show season is when I'll usually set all this stuff up. Obviously, we're not there, but so I got to do it pretty soon. Usually, the guys come up to me and say, hey, are we going to do any filming this year? And then I can kind of pencil some stuff in, but same kind of deal. If we're going to be there on June 24th and 25th, Whatever it is, it is. Hopefully we can get some decent audio and some decent footage out of it, whether it's a cold front or a whatever. We're we're committed. Yeah, and it seems like a lot of times Mother Nature maybe gets the last say in some of those things, unfortunately, but it is what it is. I mean, what are you going to do sometimes? Have you guys ever had it where you went out on a shoot, like for you were going to go wherever, XYZ destination and three, four days later, you're just like, nope, this isn't going to happen, and you don't shoot at all or not? Um, We've had it, yeah, where we'll go out, and maybe we'll only film the first day, and then the weather dictates the next two days, and then the next day we got to be to maybe South Dakota, do a pheasant hunt or something, and we just we can't stay. We got We have accommodations, or we're meeting someone to film the next thing, and we got to kind of bail on that segment and just wipe the media card so to speak and kind of tuck your tail and go to the next one and level down and hope that you can get the next one done i think that's the one thing people fail to understand i guess is how difficult some of this stuff can actually be you know dealing with the different elements and all that and like how you know when you're fishing i mean much like musky fishing they don't always cooperate and then you guys are you know kind of at their mercy a little bit right yep yeah, you can't you can't control everything, especially with this. You know, I mean, it's different if you're shooting a commercial for a whatever, an electronic brand or truck brand. Or, you know, you just go out and shoot it. The weather doesn't matter. You don't need the uh, animals to cooperate with you. But when you turn anything into the outdoor world, it's kind of Mother Nature. You're at her mercy most of the time. So, Zach, I know that you guys do quite a bit in Canada as well. And I know this past season, I mean, you've pretty much been blocked out of there. I mean, with the COVID thing, you're not able to go across the border. And I know that affected both fishing and hunting. What did you do in the intern for that? I mean, obviously, you still have to make the shoot. So, I'm sure you guys were scrambling a little bit. Yeah. So, this past year has been been a major scramble. Um, Usually... 
we filmed probably around half of our show in Canada. And uh, Kurt, the host of the show, he actually also has a resort up by Banff in uh, Alberta. And we haven't been able to get up there or get up to film the show at all. So we've been, this last year, we were teaming up with quite a few guides and local fishermen in, in the Midwest. But, I mean, with Canada being shut down, a lot of those guys were already pretty well booked up as well. But uh, we, we have some close contacts on Lake of the Woods that we normally do our muskie segment with. His name is Mike Gate, and he... Uh, his resort is Sunset Cove in Nestor Falls. And, you know, just talking to guys like that, I mean, I think this whole the whole pandemic is really going to put some of those resorts in Canada in, in some serious trouble, especially if they I don't open this summer, which, I mean, I kind of have a feeling that they're not going to. Obviously, I hope they do, and I hope they make it. But I have a feeling when we get back up to Canada, uh, it's not going to quite be the same resort and accommodation wise. Yeah, it's it's super painful to see what's kind of been going on up there. I, obviously, I've talked to some of the different resort owners up there as well, and it's scary. It's really scary to think, yeah. you know, if if we go through another season like that, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to recover from that. Honestly. Yeah, I mean, some of them I think had a a piggy bank built up enough to make it through the missing the first season. But I don't know, two seasons in a row for some of those resorts to miss. I, I think that might kind of be the, the nail on the coffin, so to speak for some of them. Absolutely. I am, I'm just hoping that uh, things kind of turn around at least, you know, if it doesn't happen at the beginning of that season, that it, at least midsummer, something like that. Cause, uh, it's yep. affecting them. Well, you know it is, Brad. I mean, if you're a business, you try to put some money away for a rainy day, but you don't put money away for two rainy years, you know, essentially. Right. I mean, yeah. nobody plans for their business. I mean, if you see a dip in the economy, you can kind you kind of see it coming and you can kind of forecast ahead for it, but nobody plans for your business to go to zero overnight, essentially. Yeah, I think that's a, a very true statement, Jeff, and... <laughs> I don't know, man. It, it's uh, it's painful to watch, that's for sure. Yeah, and on, on the flip side of that, you know, some of our lakes are going to get overpressured again this next year, I think. And I don't know what the long-term effect will be from that, but I guess only time to tell. Yeah, that's something that I had. I'm trying to think who I had a conversation with about that, about panfish this year. You know, I've heard that ice fishing pressure is kind of through the roof. And mm-hmm. if... I mean, those panfish populations around here can get pressured pretty hard too. So it's a concern with the muskie angling thing. It's not so much a concern because mo- you know the majority of the guys are releasing anyways. Obviously, right. the more pressure on the fish makes them a little more difficult to catch. But as far as long term future, probably not as big a deal. Fortunately, panfish right. do rebound, you know, well, but they're not a f- they're not an infinite resource like some people think they are. Yep. Brad, what's your take on that? Have you seen ice fishing pressure through the roof up in Minnesota when you've been out? Yeah, it's incredible, Jeff. I mean, we went from the summer with uh, more boats on the water than I can ever remember. It really hasn't changed throughout the, the winter season as well. I mean, every lake we go to, I mean, there's just tons of fish houses out. And so there's no doubt in my mind that it's being affected to some degree. 
and hopefully it's not over harvest you know i mean that's that's the one thing I think that we should all try to grow out of at some point. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not saying that you can't eat fish because I love eating fish just as much as the next guy. But, you know, it doesn't you don't need to fill your freezer, I guess. You know, I don't ever freeze fish. And the reason I don't is if I want a meal of fish, I go catch a few. You know, uh, that's yeah. the way I look at it. But fresh fish to me is way better than something that's been in the freezer for six, eight months. So that's how I deal with it. Um, and I, I just hope that, uh, people recognize that, uh, they could be doing some damage. That's for sure. We're definitely gonna have to, you know, I wouldn't say us per- personally, but overall the musky or in fishing community community is going to have to definitely preach conservation. I think in the, you know, in the States anyways, up in Canada is if you're a, just a regular person fishing up in Canada, I'm sure it's amazing. You know, the fish haven't yeah. pressure at all, you know, but yeah. I would assume the majority of those people would certainly give up all of that to have their, you know, local resorts stay in business. And I know I, all of us, I'm sure would, would love for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Jeff. I totally agree with that. And who knows, you know, there's going to be some changes and some fallout from this too. I think, uh, as an example, I think a lot of people are starting to realize that, Hey, I don't need to cross the border. You know, I, I found this lake or I found this bite and it, it might change the game a little bit all the way around. Who knows? We'll see how it all falls apart here, but I, it's going to be interesting. Well, I won't disagree with you completely, Brad. I do think there are certain, yeah, I, th- I think as soon as the border is open, there's going to be a whole pile of guys that are looking forward to going back to what they did and they will be there in droves, you know? So I know that's, that you will have that. I'm sure there are people that will probably, you know, redirect their, their dollars, but I bet you the majority of it will bounce back fairly quickly. I would assume. Yeah. I, I won't argue that Jeff. It, it's just, you know, you think about it, those resorts up there in Canada, they have to have some sort of business. And I know visiting with a few of them, they really reached out to a lot of the Canadians to try to get some of their business. So how did they book it? You know, did a Canadian show up at a Canadian resort and say, man, I want to come next year. Well, I would think that that resort probably said, let's do it. You know, I'm going to put you in the book. Um, Not knowing if they could count on the U S market coming back. It's going to be interesting. Well, I mean, in a sense, Brad, it'd be like, you know, Herbie booking trips around here. I mean, I saw, Steve Herbick's going to book trips in the United States next year or, you know, in, in Wisconsin, I think specifically. And he's basically like, well, two, you know, what is it? Two in the hand is worth one in the bush or however that saying goes. I don't know. There's about some birds in some bush or something like that. But uh, anyways, it's some something like that. So I'm sure these Canadian resorts are like, hey, if these Canadians want to book trips, I'm, I'm taking their money because so, we need something, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. Herbie is going to book in Wisconsin. I, I've just talked to him a week ago. So, you know, he's uh, he's basically his words were, I'm not going to be held hostage wondering if I can cross the border. So he's uh, made an alternative plan. And I think uh, some of those alternative plans are going to be made by the resort owners and such. And so it's it could possibly potentially be interesting. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's moving on from, from that fun talk. Let's talk a little bit about 
you know, Zach, you talked earlier about a spreadsheet that you kind of put together for musky catches. So I think we've kind of covered the the whole filming outdoor deal. And let's talk a little bit yeah. about musky fishing before we get out of here. Why don't you talk a little bit yeah. about the spreadsheet that you have? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I started out probably 10 years ago going the traditional route and just kind of logging everything by pen and paper. That was good and all, but I kind of realized like you never really go back and look. I mean, you look at it, but you don't really get to analyze or study it in depth. And uh, one thing that I've I found really helpful over the last five years is I actually make it an Excel spreadsheet for all your catches, and then you can you can sort them, you can put filters on them, so you can you know I go fish seen, fish caught, uh, water temp, air temp. I'll get into barometric pressure, moon phase, lure, and lake are kind of my main ones, and then I also have a bunch of subcategories that aren't necessarily correlating with anything but then the nice part is you can you know i can go if i'm fishing in october and the water temps are 57 i can go in there click october or just click water temps 50 to 60 degree range and it'll pop everything up and it's all color coordinated with green being caught fish uh, yellow being seen fish red being didn't see or catch fish and you can kind of tie your data data together and learn maybe which lakes are hot, which time of the year, or on what water temperature, or on what bait. Or you can go by spring and kind of go down all your catches that are green and then just look at which baits were hot. And, um, you know, I think that, I don't know if a lot of guys do that, but it's been super helpful for me. Um, it kind of helps me key in on what lakes have been hot at what time of the year and what bait have been hot and what time of the year and seen by moon phase, which, which moon phase has been the best for me. I think for people that aren't super handy with a spreadsheet, I, th- I want to say there's an app that does this. Do you know anything about it, Zach? Is it called Lake Labs or uh, something like that that maybe does something there, similar? I think Lake Labs and uh, it might be like a fish brain one too. I think maybe... I think Mike Keyes has something on his show that he was tied in with. I think that was the Lake Labs one that's similar to that. Sure. I know back in the day I used to do something similar to you. I had I had a spreadsheet of sorts. I didn't have it in the computer where I could sort, but I at least had a reference. And I don't know, it seems like lately yeah. I've gotten away from all that. I should go back to it. In fact, I I almost dug up some old stuff because I, I was fishing the Fox River in Green Bay a lot this fall. And I was like, man, it would really be nice to know what I used to do ten years ago. Right. I know I had, yeah. I know back when I was doing it, I had all the, that information. Of course, I never dug it out and continued to struggle. But I should have went back on, on that and and at least had a reference. Right. I'd be like, okay, I was, I mean, I knew what baits I was catching them on, but I couldn't remember speeds I was running at certain water temperatures and depths and line lengths and all that stuff. So I should have. Yep. But and and it, you know, it sounds more complicated than it probably is I, it's pretty basic the way i do it but it, it like even this last year there was a lake up in vilas county that you know i had a, a just a regular old junior cowgirl bite going on the last two years at a certain water temp and um i went up there for the weekend we made a camping weekend out of it and tied on a junior bucktail at that point and Sure enough, within I think it was probably 15 minutes, we had one fall, and that for the rest of the weekend, it was that same bait that was hot. And then the next weekend, water temps 
had dropped a little bit more and fish were moving into the shallows a little. And I went to another lake that at that time, it was a, just a, a prop, prop style topwater bait that was hot and kind of followed the pattern. And from year to year, it seems to be pretty effective. So what, what are you actually using? Is it Excel that you're using or what yeah, uh, spreadsheet are you choosing to use? Yep, just regular old Excel, and then uh, I make each column of data sortable. And then, um, yeah, you can, I mean, I started out, when I first made it, I think I just had, like, fish, fish seen, fish caught, moon phase, lure, and um, water temp. And, you know, that's probably all you really need, because now I look at my sheet, and I have, like, 15 different things that I've been tracking just to kind of see what correlates with what, but um, I think it's a pretty helpful tool and it's not too hard once you dive into it to kind of customize your own sheet. You know, the funny thing for me is, is that I literally, like when I first started musky fishing, I had a Polaroid camera in the boat specifically just to make markings on those pictures at the bottom. I could say barometric pressure, water temp. Yep. The, the date, the bait, blah, blah, blah. It was a helpful tool. There's no question about it. And then you had the picture with it, right? So it was kind of cool that way. Sure. And then I kind of quit. And wow. honestly, I mean, there's a discipline to actually doing that. If you if you really want to take good records, you yeah. you got to yeah. do it right away, you know? For sure. So how do you manage and, that part? Um, You know, it's like the end of the day, the last thing you want to do usually is this but data seem to be king and even like the days where you don't catch one are really the, the last thing you want to do is go vlog <laughs> how you suck that day those days seem to be the ones that i learned from the most you know because you can you can see what you're doing wrong so to speak and stop doing that or stop or try something different the next year when the same conditions come up so you kind of learn each lake and each environment and each lure and how you're most effective with it. And I think what you said was the correct word for that is discipline. <laughs> Making yourself do it every day. Cause it's not, you know, it's not a lot of fun to do per se, but it's, it's a lot of fun to look back at it when you have complete data versus only logging when you were successful or wanted to log it. Right. Well, I, I'll tell you this. We can talk about the discipline side of it. And, and and I honestly, like I said, I really didn't utilize and I, I'm not disciplined enough to actually do it. But I have a, an older client of mine who did it for years. And it's really wild. When I'm struggling with something, I definitely, I'll, I'll call Paul and guess what? Paul will point me into a direction of something that we did, say, 10 years ago. 15 years ago and, and it's yeah. amazing to me you know and and yeah. he always he makes me think man i should really be doing this on my own but again i just i don't know i, I don't seem yeah. to get it done. and you know i think a lot of guys do log stuff by pen and paper which is fine and great but it's like looking back eight years you know it might take you a forever to find it or like in just case you, you don't know where it is or you can't find it or the wife threw it away or the dog chewed it up or whatever where this you know it's, it takes three clicks and you can whether it's wind speed or you know water temp doesn't matter you just filter it and all of your data that you've ever put in is in there and 
I don't know. I, I find it to be a really useful tool. Well, I think it's all about managing too. Okay. We talked about the discipline side, but now it's also managing what it is that you're, uh, you're trying to put it down. And obviously you've got it dialed in with this, uh, spreadsheet that you get that you've developed so you know i i think that's the biggest part i think if if people are willing to put in the effort however you do it like you said pen and paper works as well but uh right yep it's uh it can be a challenge that's for sure for a lot of us yep. anyway yep brad zach's one of these new school anglers he's probably got a laptop in his boat <laughs> <laughs> no so i don't I know actually... if i believe that I was actually late to the the mega imaging party. I was, I don't know. I thought I was cheating for a while until I got one, and then I was like, "Well, now I better get a, a bigger one or another one and join the party." You know. <laughs> yeah, I would have figured that you would have been right on that. It seems to be a, it's like us us older guys, Brad. We're 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 older guys, right? I mean, I'm guessing. Uh, in the realm of fishing today, yes. All right. So us, <laughs> us older guys, we're usually the ones that adapt late to that kind of stuff. You know, it's like, but it seems like the, no. the newer generation takes to it super quick, which, you know, I, I would say I'm kind of in between because I, I grew up playing Nintendo and stuff like that. So I've, I still had that video game background. Whereas if you go a little bit older than me, Brad, you might not even hardly had that. You were probably playing Atari. So <laughs> come on now. <laughs> Well, I did see we got to get our our hummingbird spiel in right for the the sponsor here. I did <laughs> I did see uh, Brad. They're ma- I think they're making a fifteen inch model now, so you can see it too. Yeah, I know that's a struggle <laughs> for me, honestly. I mean, I it's hard to believe, but man, I'll tell you, it, it's gotten tougher for me over the years. And it's funny because what I've done now, I guess it works to their advantage if you think about it. I used to be able to stand on the rear deck and actually be able to read my GPS or, and my depth finder at the dash. And guess yeah. what? That doesn't work so well anymore. So now what I'm doing <laughs> is I'm, I'm literally buying more electronics so that it's more at my feet so I can actually see it. So right. it's, uh, it's twofold, I guess. I can't believe he's taking shots at you, Brad. That's terrible. I would never do that. <laughs> Hey, believe me, we we've shared the boat a few times, and and there's a lot of shots fired. I bet. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It, it goes both ways. Does he ever comment on your beard like I do? Though? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. The beard might have to come off soon. It's getting so gray at this point. I mean, I I've got the round belly. People are going to start confusing me with Santa Claus. <laughs> you know, one one question I got for you, Jeff, is. I've been waiting, last time we were sharing the boat together, you were talking about this jet boat, and I'm waiting for you to get this jet boat. <laughs> so when's that going to happen? Um, I'll give you my wife's cell phone number, and you can text her and see how this goes <laughs> yeah. over. She keeps telling me as soon as I sell my Tuffy that I can I can uh, do that. And yeah. I might have a buyer lined up for my Tuffy, so there, uh, there's a chance. I, well, we'll see. Yeah. I'm hoping. Jet boats are pretty cool. Yeah, she keeps telling me, she's like, you don't, you already have two boats. You only use one of them. Like, when are you going to use the, like, when are you going to use this jet boat? And I'm like, don't worry, I'll find it. She's like, because when we're up north, you bring up your Lund. And then when you're down here, you take your Lund everywhere too. Like, where are you going to use this jet? I said, well, I'll take it up north with me. So, I mean, there's got to be some rivers up, up in northern Wisconsin that I can use it in. I'm sure there has to be. Oh, yeah, I can think of a few up by where I grew up. Yeah, don't worry. It's still on my wish list. I don't talk about it every day because I keep 
you know, it's like tormenting myself, but it's it's there. <laughs> I want one just as much as I ever All did. Right. Well, when you get one, I want to hop in for a day. Sounds good. I think Brad wants to All hop right. in for a day too, right, Brad? Absolutely, man. I, I love doing that kind of stuff. I've had the opportunity to do it with a few people, and I know you have too, Jeff. It can be incredible, and you're fishing water that uh, these fish really haven't seen a whole lot of pressure. So that's the other mm-hmm. fun part about it. Well, yep. the, the one thing I find to be cool about it is that it just seems like more of an adventure, I guess I would say. You know, you're never sure exactly what you're going to get involved in. The fishing may not may or may not be spectacular, but it's just you're out there in the wilderness, off the beaten path. I mean, Zach, with some of your adventures you've taken as, as a cameraman, you probably understand the adventure side of it. Yeah, that's my favorite kind of fishing, honestly. I mean, like you're saying, the fish might not be the biggest, but or you might not catch the most, but that whole adventure part of it is kind of, that's what gets me going. Like I say, I mean, I know that you do a lot of that like backwoods kind of float trip river stuff. I've seen picture. I think it's pictures or seen a video of you guys dragging canoes and stuff down yeah. the banks or whatever. Which video was that on it? I mean, if guys want to check um, it out. Yeah, it's called River Rooted. Uh, my buddies Nick Erickson and Jake Bramer and I did a little a video for. It was actually a European. Uh, muskie fishing company, but that was kind of exactly what you're talking about. It was just a, a backcountry adventure, muskie fishing from canoes, kind of the way that we grew up and the way that we got hooked into muskie fishing. Well, let me ask you a question about that. So if guys are looking to drag canoes and stuff down banks, how'd you guys go about finding the information to do it? I'm not asking for specific locations. I'm just saying, right. yep. like, how did you go find out that information to be able to even take those adventure adventures? Her- Pretty much all Google Maps. We use Google Maps and uh, we use the DNR website and make sure that, you know, there's muskies in it, whether it be a class A, B, C, or, you know, it didn't matter just whether it had muskies in it or not. And then we use Google Maps and kind of find a bridge that we could dump in and see where the next bridge was and <laughs> estimate how far we thought the float would be. Sometimes we were spot on, other times we were a little bit off and we thought we'd be getting to the landing at like 7 p.m. and we'd get there at midnight or 1, but that <laughs> just adds to the adventure of it. That's a funny thing. I, I went and did a shoot, I don't know, probably 10, 12 years ago um, on a river and had the same exact experience act. The guys told me, oh, yeah, we've we've done this drift before, blah, blah, blah. We might have to drag the boat over some sandbars, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, I'm all about it. It looks good, you know. So yeah. we we put in, and I'm trying to think. It was probably five hours before dark, right? And they're like, it's a four-hour tops, four-hour drift tops. Well, guess what? The current was not hardly pushing at all. Right. And um, now it's like quarter after 10, it's pitch black. And we have no idea how far away we are. Now, we can look on a handheld GPS and go, okay, the truck is, like, over here, but rivers right. aren't straight. They're curving all different directions. Right. And Fortunately, we heard some rapids in front of us, which uh, did not sound really great because we, I think we had one headlamp out of four guys. And um, we seen some headlights and we like crashing the shore before we hit these rapids and we ran up there and it was literally a, a farmer who was checking on his cows and he gave us a ride back and we pulled the boats out right there. But, then, but honestly, then it was like an Alfred Hitchcock movie. There was so many mosquitoes 
it was yep. insane. Yeah. Uh, we were so welted <laughs> up. Man. You know, those are the stories that you don't forget. Hands down. You're exactly you right. Know, it, it was, uh, you, you catch a 48-inch muskie or whatever, 40-some-inch muskie, whatever, you forget about it. But you can go on a trip like that, and it doesn't even matter if you catch a muskie. Every time you see those buddies, that's a story that's going to get brought up, you know? You're so right. I mean, it it was an adventure to say the least. Now, if Jeff would buy that jet boat, guess what? We would have just cruised oh, and we would have made it there quick. <laughs> yep. Yeah, there'd be no guessing. It'd be less of a story though, Brad, if we did if we cheated like that, you know. <laughs> well, if we I take won't... the jet boat down river and we break down, then we got a potential story in the making. There's some truth to that as well, but I, I... <laughs> I won't argue, man. I mean, it, it was a good time. I, I'm not disappointed that we did it, but uh, yeah. believe me, it got interesting. Yep. <laughs> I had a, a similar, long story short, a similar uh, scenario where we broke. I was with my buddy Jake, and we were floating down river, going to paddle back up, and the paddles snapped because the current was a little stronger than we thought, and we didn't have reception, so we ended up having to walk the the flat bottom back up and the mosquitoes got so bad that we took mud and covered ourselves from head to head to toe, basically in mud. So the mosquitoes couldn't bite us on our way back up. (laughs) (laughs) And that's one of those stories that, you know, we, we talk about all the time. That's awesome. That's good (laughs) stuff. All right, Zach, on that note, let's, uh, I just want to thank you for coming out talking about kind of just about adventures, I guess that's sort of the theme of this podcast. Not a ton of, yeah. you know, just strictly musky related content, but just, uh, you know, a little bit different for what we did. And, you know, you were the perfect guest for this type of a type of talk and it kind of got to, you know, see, see what uh, goes on behind the scenes, I guess, with, with you and your filming adventures. So uh, we really yeah, appreciate you coming me. out and I hope that, uh, I hope maybe we get to see you in the boat yet this year. It sounds like you're going to be pretty oh, busy, yeah. but it'd be cool to do that again. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to catch up with you guys again. It was it was good just even catching up on the phone with you guys tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we just want to thank all of our listeners for listening to Backlash Podcast. We are quickly approaching episode 100, and hopefully we got something cool planned for that. We'll have to definitely, uh, Brad and I will have to get together, and maybe Carrie, too. Is she even part of this podcast anymore, Brad? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's actually a valid uh, question at, at this point, Jeff. But yeah, she she's still doing the artwork for us. I guess she's a, a part of it in a sense that way, huh? Yes, that's very integral because I don't think either one of us could do that. So I guess that's very important. It's hard to share crayons and uh, scribbles on a piece of paper to the world. That's for sure. Hundred <laughs> percent. Well, Zach, thanks again for coming out. Thanks again for listening to Backlash Podcast. We'll catch everybody next week. Thanks, guys.